As the PNG Road Management Evaluation says, roads are the arteries of PNG. They link farmers to markets, businesses to customers, and enable people to access services. Australia has supported PNG's road infrastructure through the PNG Australia Transport Sector Support Program for over a decade. In this second section of the PNG Aid Evaluation Forum, we discuss the evaluation, including the positive contribution of the program, its challenges, and areas for strengthening. We hope you enjoy this podcast. So today I'm going to present the findings of the ODE evaluation of the Australia PNG Transport Sector Support Program, or TSSP. So this is an evaluation I led as director in ODE, with support from the Development Policy Centre's Matthew Dorn, who's hiding up in the back corner there with a the flu, um, and also a transport sector, sorry, transport uh, specialist and independent consultant called John Lee. Um, so this. This is the structure of the presentation. First of all, I'll I'll explain what TSSP is, what it does and who's involved in it. Secondly, I'll outline the scope of the the presentation, uh, sorry, the evaluation, its objectives and its methodology. Thirdly, I'll set out the context for TSSP's work and implications for the evaluation. And finally, I'll present the evaluation's key findings and recommendations. So what is TSSP? First of all, fundamentally, it's a program that aims to help PNG improve its transport infrastructure. It's a long-term exercise. So it started in 2007, but in fact, assistance for roads has been a big part of Australian aid to PNG ever since Project Aid was introduced in the uh, 1990s. TSSB is big. It spent close to three quarters of, of a billion dollars in its current um, first in its last two phases. Uh, its focus is, includes maritime and uh, aviation, but the bulk of the spending is on land transport infrastructure or roads in particular. <coughs> uh, TSSP's focus is national roads. These are the 8,000 kilometres of roads that are the most economically important roads in the country. Uh, there are also some 20,000 plus provincial or feeder roads, uh, which are the responsibility of provincial and district authorities. These are, uh, are not a focus for the program. TSSP's main partners are the Departments of Transport and of Works and Implementation. Uh, The the Transport Department is obviously the policy lead on transport in PNG, while the Department of Works is responsible for delivery of infrastructure. So the evaluation. The scope of the evaluation was on the land transport uh, component. We figured we had enough on our plates just dealing with land transport to, to... be okay to exclude maritime and air components. Uh, the evaluation is relatively constrained in time and resources, so this was a, a project evaluation. It's not the same as our big ODEs, big strategic evaluations. We had two weeks in the field and we finished the bulk of the work in around three months. Because of those resource constraints, our focus was on, a, on identifying and synthesising evidence from secondary sources, from available data within the project. We didn't collect primary data um, beyond interviews. Um, Three sources of evidence in particular we we relied on. Firstly, analysis by the project of uh, PNG government budget allocations and decision-making. So this was required to understand the success of the project in influencing PNG government budget decisions, which is a big focus for the project. Secondly, we relied on available data on the condition of the road network and how it has changed over time. And finally, we relied on project reporting. 
especially as it, as it went to the effectiveness of efforts to improve the capacity of partner institutions. So I'll spend a bit of time on context because I think it's important um, to understand that PNG, you know, obviously it's a challenging environment. It inherited in, in, in terms of roads not one network but actually 12 disconnected uh, road networks and there was a large proportion of the population that had no road access at all. And this situation is one that still stands today, 40 years later. We saw with the recent earthquake in the Highlands, I think, the enormous challenge of getting aid to people um, that have no road access. So I think in PNG, this creates a very understandable desire um, to expand the road network and on the mainland, at least, to connect the, the, the independent networks that do exist. But at the same time, this, this needs to be kept in, in, in perspective that there's a very big challenge for PNG just to, um, just to maintain its existing road infrastructure. Just to highlight this challenge, this is a photo of Cassian Pass, which is in Eastern Highlands province on, on the way up to the Highlands. Uh, at the time we passed through this pass during the fieldwork of the evaluation, a landslip was threatening to cut off access to the Highlands entirely. Now, when we went through, there was an issue with the contractor. They'd stopped work for over two weeks because they hadn't been paid by the Department of Works. Um, and at the same time, this was, this was still, still at, at, at real risk of actually cutting off access to the islands and the contractor wasn't working to fix the problem. So this story, I think, highlights two big features of the PNG context. The first thing is that obviously there's big difficulty with um, PNG's terrain and geological conditions in establishing and maintaining a good road network. The second thing it highlights is, I think, the challenge for PNG in securing enough resources to maintain its road network. So since independence, there's been a decline in funding for infrastructure. And funding has always been well below what modelling would suggest is required. Um, for, is optimal for the network. So the quantum of funding is obviously an issue, but there's also the challenge of establishing sensible priorities for how to use that funding. We'll get to that later, but there's obviously a real cost if PNG is unable to, to pay the cost of safeguarding its access to, to one of its major population centres. Um, but of course, the, the big item that's been consistently short-changed is routine maintenance, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Um, so this problem's obviously been exacerbated by PNG's recent fiscal challenges. So this graph shows PNG's revenues. Uh, there's been a big fall from 2014. It's placed real constraints on PNG's ability to fund core services, including road maintenance. Um, I haven't followed the budget situation closer since this time, but this article from Luke PNG says the problems we saw in, in um, Cassin Pass haven't gone away. So this is the Minister for Works. Michael Gnarly admitting on the floor of the PNG Parliament in April um, that there was some 700 million keener backlog of invoices that had been unable to be paid by the Department of Works because there simply wasn't the money. So the outcome of all of this is that PNG's roads are in a very poor condition. So currently just 15% of the national road network, this is at 8,000 kilometres, have been characterised as being in good condition and some 67% are in poor condition or very poor condition. So this is a fairly typical section of the national road network. This is a section of the Highlands Highway near Garoka. And of course conditions outside the road network are even worse. So th this is a photo of the sorts of conditions that people in, in um, on provincial and federal roads have to deal with 
um, fairly frequently. We don't have, unfortunately, good data on trends in the road network. People told us that um, in certain locations it had certainly deteriorated. We don't have definitive data on that. But we do have a, have a good understanding of the current trajectory. It's not good. So this is a, a model that uses a recent comprehensive survey conducted by TSSP of the condition of the national road network. They actually surveyed the entire road network in 2015. They used the data from that with different funding scenarios. And um, this is what the road network is predicted to look like based on current levels of funding, even with optimal use of that funding. So if they, if they establish the very best priorities within the available funding envelopes, they'll basically lose the road network by 2030. So the impact of this is, is substantial. Lack of road access is a major source of hardship in PNG, and it's also costly. So here's some recent evidence of the economic impact. Um, just uh, this, this article reports that PMV's public motor vehicles operating out of Garoka are losing revenue. They've had to cut the, the, the number of trips they run from four to two per day um, because of the poor condition of the Highlands Highway. And the, the time that they've required to apply their routes has actually doubled over, the, over recent years because of the road condition. So to sum up the context, PNG's roads are in a really poor condition. They're getting worse and they're causing major hardship for people. PNG faces a massive challenge in just maintaining the quality of its existing road infrastructure, let alone expanding or improving it. The take-home for us in thinking about the evaluation was that given the scale of this challenge, I think it's important for us to be relatively modest in our expectations about what an external donor like, like Australia can achieve. So perhaps in that context, it's easy to understand that overall we actually came to the conclusion that this TSSB was a good project. There's a number of reasons for that conclusion. Firstly, TSSP's focus, I think, is sound. So the logic of promoting a regime of routine maintenance is, is overwhelming from a value-for-money perspective. So the World Bank, for example, has estimated that for a sealed road, the cost, um, the cost of, um, of, of deferring routine maintenance um, is up to 18 times the total cost of maintenance after five years of neglect. In other words, if you do nothing for five years, it will cost you 18 times more than if you just had a regular program of maintenance over those five years. Secondly, we thought the, the focus on PNG's 4,000 kilometres of national priority roads was also difficult to fault. These are the roads that provide the best, the greatest economic and social benefit to the greatest numbers of people in PNG. Secondly, TSSBs um, had a big influence on sector policy. So it's done much of the analytical uh, work required to underpin those policies. It's convinced senior bureaucrats of the need for adequate allocations for routine maintenance. It's established an effective mechanism for sectoral coordination amongst the various land transport bodies. Um, it's, 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 it's used this mechanism to improve the quality of the submissions submitted to the PNG Cabinet. Um, it's had a big influence on other donors. So you can see, for example, its influence on the, the ADB and its design of its $500 million Highlands Highway project. And you can see at least some of its evidence in some of the, the PNG Prime Minister's recent statements 
which have acknowledged the high cost Pangea has borne um, from neglecting maintenance. Finally, I think TSSB has provided some real benefits to, um, to, you know, to, to Pangea through its program of physical work. So it's maintained close to 2,000 kilometres of roads in Pangea, um, which has obviously provided a big benefit. So a good project, but one that faces some pretty serious challenges. So what are those challenges? The biggest challenge for, that we came across was that despite fairly persistent efforts to influence um, the, the PNG budget, um, it's had thus far very limited, um, very limited influence on PNG government decision making. So TSSP analysis shows that there's big differences between what PNG bureaucrats are recommending to the PNG cabinet um, based on their assessment of those projects that represent best value for money and what is actually coming out of the cabinet process. So in 2016, over 40% of the total value of the, the, of the um, projects approved by cabinet were not actually in the sector budget submission. Um, in 2017, this figure was almost 50%. Um, the second challenge is capacity building. Obviously, it's difficult to measure, uh, but we couldn't provide, find any persuasive evidence that, and that, that TSSP had improved the underlying effectiveness of the institutions that it supports. Um, we had a number of reasons for this. I'm running out of time, so I probably can't go into detail about that now. Um, third, uh, yeah, I guess on capacity, we concluded that the project does bring a lot of capacity to its partners, um, but that we shouldn't expect it based on the evidence that this will be sustained after that support is withdrawn. A third and final challenge for TSSB has been funding predictability. There's obviously been budget factors um, recently, but also some commitments to non-maintenance related works that have constrained the ability of the project to continue to support maintenance in recent years at historical levels. But areas for improvement. Um, we, we made six recommendations and I don't have time to go through them all. Um, so I'll just focus on the ones that I think are most important. Um, for me, these are the recommendations that go to the project's ability to, to influence the PNG government um, decision-making and implementation. So on this, we had three suggestions. First, we thought there was room for the project to, to communicate and DFAT to communicate more forcefully and consistently at a political level about our expectations of the PNG budget. We're seeing the dialogue at a bureaucratic level is reasonably solid, um, but there's a breakdown when it gets to um, the political level. Secondly, we thought to inform discussions with government about implementation issues, that there would be merit in completing an, an independent expenditure tracking survey. Currently, there's simply not reliable information on what money in the sector is being spent on, and given the recent devolution of substantial amounts of resources to MPs, uh, some of which is notionally supposed to be spent on roads. I think it's really important to get better information on what money in the sector is being spent on. Finally, we recommended that the project take on responsibility for monitoring the condition of the road network and make this a long-term commitment. So this is a kind of capacity substitution role within the Department of Works. There's currently no basis for assessing trends in road conditions, and we think having that would, would provide a, a good basis for influencing the PNG government and hopefully support better outcomes in the sector. Thank you.
Okay, I'm going to jump out of my chairing role into a speaking role and uh, just give a few comments on this evaluation. Um, when I first um, you know, conceived of this event, I was thinking that Matthew Dornan would be the, could be the discussant, but then he reminded me he'd actually help write the report, so he couldn't also be a discussant. Um, so having worked on the PNG aid review back in 2010, I thought it would be interesting to revisit some of these issues, so I volunteered myself uh, for this. Um, and then Matt was away yesterday, so I haven't discussed these comments with him. So there is at least some arm's length here. I wanted to um, put my comments under these three headings. As David said, overall, um, you know, this is a good project and the, the main recommendation is to do more of it and, and do it better. And I thought it was a good evaluation. You know, it, it, um, I mean, it did remind me of some of the recommendations I'd made back in 2010. <laughs> but uh, it had a lot of good information. It's very thought-provoking. It raises bigger issues, um, good ideas and recommendations. So I'm going to uh, build off that and, and focus on these uh, three things. So the first is uh, you know, the whole question of funding. And there's a very telling graph in the evaluation where the blue is maintenance. And I mean, really, the main focus of the report is maintenance. And the main message is the funding should be on maintenance. Maintenance should be the top priority. But when you look at this, you see that actually funding for maintenance, the blue, has fallen. And it's well below what it was in 2013. Uh, and it has been below what it was in 2013, 2014. And um, in 2019, they said we could ignore because only half a year. But even if you take that out, right, it's still um, a, you know, a small contribution for what is seen as a, you know, really important area. So why is that? And uh, I just want to explore that. I mean, the first thing is, you know, it's not that aid has been cut to PNG, right? If this is total aid to PNG from our famous aid tracker. Uh, it's going up, right? PNG has totally escaped uh, the aid cut. So that's not the reason. Uh, it's been constantly rated successful, right? In fact, the evaluation says it's Australia's most successful program in PNG. So it's not a sort of performance cut. Um, then there's this agreement was struck in 2014 that I'll talk about later, that 50% of the aid program should go on infrastructure. So you think that would push it up, right? And then when I try to look at the numbers, well, where are they spending more money? It's very hard to see a clear sectoral shift. And, yeah, I did put together this table, which I don't expect you to follow. I couldn't follow it. Um, <laughs> these are from the successive APPRs. And, you know, I, I just note here that the amount of information coming out in the APPRs uh, falls every year. So it's very hard to see uh, where the money is going to if it's not going to roads. The uh, project, uh, sorry, the evaluation gives two reasons for this cut. One is this bias against maintenance, so which I'll discuss later. But in 2014, there was this explicit agreement to move away from maintenance. PNG government could do that. Uh, we're going to focus on these complex projects. Uh, DFAT says that's no longer the case, but you, clearly that would make sense. Uh, and you can see it here. There was a lot of work here on um, these bridges. And then there's Manus. So the Manus uh, money was on top of the aid program. So it shouldn't have crowded out aid program spending. But there is this uh, uh, sentence in the evaluation that there was sort of a cap on roads. And that would be interesting to hear more about. Was that essentially we shouldn't spend too much on roads? Or was it just a capacity constraint, right, that these consultants were busy working on Manus and so they weren't able to deliver uh, road maintenance? Um, but it certainly raises, um, you know, cause for concern. And, you know, even going forward, even if it's all maintenance, so there's no bias against maintenance, but it's still not a lot of money. Um, so, you know, I've got a few questions on, on each of my comments. 
I want to suggest to uh, ODE that as well as giving recommendations, you also um, summarize your key findings and ask DFAT to respond to the key findings. Because often it's the key findings, right, that are really crucial. You know, the recommendations can always be spun. But, you know, how does the government explain this move away from uh, road maintenance for a number of years? And then second, you know, you recommend that there be predictable funding, but why not recommend increased funding? You know, you could have predictable low level of funding, which is sort of what we've got for the uh, next couple of years, but why not have, given that it is such a priority area and a successful program, and given that you've got a 50% uh, infrastructure target, you know, why not uh, boost funding for TSSP? And it does remind me in the PNG aid review, someone, you know, one of our informants gave us this quote, get back to focusing on success, where things are functioning to provide resources. That would seem to be a good argument for boosting funding on, on TSSP. I just want to, um, you know, go from that to this 2014 document, A New Direction for Australian Aid in PNG, because this was something very influential, I think, and, and in a way, uh, in some ways misconceived uh, in, in hindsight. There were some good ideas which have been poorly implemented, I think. You know, this idea of spending 50% on infrastructure, I think that was a good idea. It was something the PNG government wanted. But as we've seen, it actually hasn't supported the really key spending in infrastructure maintenance. And then second, there was this good idea to establish clearer performance benchmarks to assess both our and PNG's performance. But as the evaluation points out, there hasn't really been any evaluation of PNG's performance in road maintenance. And that's why uh, road transport gets rated green, uh, even though PNG has slashed funding for maintenance. But then, um, you know, I think there are some ideas which were just uh, poor and uh, which have harmed the aid program. So there was this shift out of maintenance as part of a broader shift out of service delivery. And this was really premised on this idea there has been rapid growth in the economy and there's going to be rapid growth. And the sort of logic here is there's, there's economic growth that's going to lead to more revenue, and, but we're not getting development. So if we can get more capacity into government, combine that revenue with the capacity, then we'll get growth converted into development as against doing it ourselves. There's no longer a need to provide textbooks or drugs or road maintenance because the PNG government can afford that. You know, the missing link was capacity. And I just want to suggest that, uh, you know, that was misconceived and, and um, you know, poor, uh, I think poor strategic choice. And, you know, I think some of that's still captured in this report. You know, there's a sentence in the report that the resource boom saw the size of the PNG's economy double over 10 years. Well, did it? I mean, I think... The economy increased strongly, but let's say 50% or, or maybe two-thirds at most. But then, you know, we need to, in a resource-dependent economy with a high level of foreign ownership, when you're looking at the size of the PNG's economy, you know, we don't want to measure the size of Exxon, right? We want to measure GNI, gross national income. That's not available for PNG. So the best proxy is the non-resource GDP, right? which is widely used, commonly available. And when we take out the... Uh, so basically taking out all the mineral exports, and there, there you see the big uh, LNG project coming in at the end. You know, the non-resource GDP performance is not that uh, satisfactory. And in fact, you can see actually the economy, according to the latest data, the economy turned and went into recession uh, straight after that 2014 report came out. That's the latest NSO report on 2015. And when you put it into, you know, take account of strong population growth, right, Then and we focus on the non-resource side... Then we get the blue line, and, you know, it's very tepid growth over the whole cycle. Um, you know, it's about 1% a year on average. Of course, it's very hard to pick the turning points, you know, so I, I, I'm not faulting um, the government for that. But, you know, in hindsight, you're really betting on the commodity boom continuing. It was the commodity boom that was driving growth 
in, in GDP. And it's very unusual that you get rapid growth without development. So the fact that there wasn't development you know, should have made us suspicious about this growth being a sort of permanent feature. So I think that whole um, logic that uh, we, we've got rapid growth, you know, PNG is an emerging economy, therefore we can really treat PNG like Indonesia when it comes to our aid program. That there's some of that still in the aid program, uh, and it needs to be it needs to be rethought. I think I'm going to skip over these employment numbers because uh, I ran out of time. Um, yeah, so that's on the funding and the sort of underlying logic. Just make a few comments. Uh, second point was around capacity building. Um, I think the the evaluation has some different messages at different points, and that enables DFAT in its response to sort of pull out the good message. <coughs> But, you know, I take this as sort of the overall assessment and, and the part in bold is kind of the bottom line, that there's little evidence, so let's say no evidence, uh, <laughs> of any measurable improvement in the technology, technical and organisational capacity of TSSP's main institutional partners. So, you know, the capacity building effort uh, has failed. And I think that's how I would read the conclusion of this report. And they do call for this new approach, which I'm going to summarise. With my, that's my own... Uh, sort of caption in line, um, that they, they think we should think of uh, TSSB's inputs as long-term capacity supplementation. It's going to be there for a long period, and um, the task is going to be done by advisors consultant for some time. So it's not the advise someone else how to do it, right? We'll show them how to do it and then move out. It's really that in-line role that you keep doing it uh, for into the indefinite future. And, you know, that's what we recommended. That was the earlier model, uh, going back to the... 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It's what we recommended in the 2010 review. There's always been interest in it, and, and there are bits and pieces of it, but it's never really taken off. Uh, and I'm not... I guess it's sensitive, it's difficult to bring about, um, but it's interesting that this evaluation is another call for that return to an inline approach. And in terms of you know, my questions on this, um, there were two. One, is this lack of capacity itself a constraint on expenditure? Right? Is that perhaps one reason why expenditure hasn't been higher? Not because DFAT's cut it, but just they're unable to spend the money. Uh, and second, I couldn't really see this sort of call for a shift to in-line in the recommendations. Right? It seemed to be, to be lost. Perhaps from what David was saying, it's contained in the recommendations around data production. Like that's one area where it will be done in-line. But I would have thought this would be a broader recommendation that would go... Uh, beyond data. And then finally, I hope I'm in time, Chen. Yep, good. Uh, on data, or really data and transparency. Um, you know, there's a very uh, interesting, I wasn't aware of this data source that the report uh, refers to. So now the World Bank rates all countries in terms of statistical capacity, and they point out PNG is, uh, you know, this is about 150 countries, so PNG sort of in the bottom 20. And anyone who knows, uh, you know, who works on PNG knows how weak statistical capacity is. So I think it's, it's very sensible that the report really focuses on the data side and what contribution the project can make to data. And I just want to sort of, you know, uh, reaffirm that and, and also go a, bit, go, go a bit beyond. I was a bit disappointed. I thought the evaluation could have taken on the issue of transparency. You know, we've been banging on about this issue for a while. And I, think I can remember in an earlier blog, I'd used this program as an example of how uh, the sort of disregard for transparency, because uh, it is you know, the largest or one of the largest programs in the entire aid portfolio. And when I went to the website yesterday you know, to see what there was, this is the uh, section of the website on the Transport Sector Support Program. 
So still very out of date, right? No reference even to this evaluation. You think they might have put a link up to that. There is a reference to the actual website for the program. So that's encouraging. And you think, well, that could have all the detailed information and then it wouldn't need to be repeated on DFAP. When you go to that website, it has a lot of um, press releases and good news stories. But when it comes to actual you know, monitoring material or plans, you, you know, normally you'd go for documents, there's one report. I mean, there's literally one report, right, which is 2015, so sort of a random year uh, plucked out. So, you know, there is not a lot of transparency around this massive program, which is doing overall a good job. And I think that's something the, uh, your evaluation, David, could have taken uh, on board. But when it comes to data, um, you know, I was, um, I learned a lot and I realised that the data I'd been quoting back in 2010 is actually inaccurate right, and was based on some administrative data that's no longer regarded as reliable. And in fact, uh, when you do it properly with a visual inspection, um, you know, which is videographed, uh, then uh, you, you find a very different picture. Um, but you know, what strikes me is it took us so long to do this, get this accurate measurement of the state of the roads. Right? We've been working on these 16 roads uh, at least since 2006. They're only 4,300 kilometres in length. Right? I mean, even if they're difficult roads, right, that's not that many days' work to actually drive along them. And it's really striking to me that um, it's taken us almost 10 years to get a um, sort of baseline. And, um, yeah, let me go to the observations questions. You know, I, I, I very much uh, endorse their message that there should be this repeated uh, data collection effort. And I just want to, you know, focus it, suggest it should be focused on those 16 roads every two years, for example. Make it very concrete um, so that we can actually track progress. You know, which, we, which we're not able to do. You know, that's really a striking uh, finding. And it does, when I observe, and you know, in my own involvement with the aid program, there's such a lot of emphasis on M&E and log frames and, and, and reporting. But you know, often in areas where you can't really say anything, like leadership right, or education, you know, attitudes, things that are very hard to measure. You know, yet, things that are very quantifiable, very easy to measure, you know, we're not doing it. And um, you know, I think what... Uh, DFAT and with ODE support have done with their uh, evaluation strategy to reorient it from something that has to be done on every project to something that should be done strategically on the most important projects, most useful. You could also do that on the M part of M&E. You know? Obviously every project has to have some monitoring but I feel you could do a lot less monitoring on some projects and a lot more on others and, and that would make sure that uh, we covered off on this really, really basic data. Um, and so that's my final uh, question. I, the report recommends this expenditure tracking study, which we actually tried to do uh, when Colin and I and others did that work on health education, especially health education and roads. You know, we could never work out how to do it on roads because with education and health, you can ask someone, but with roads, who do you ask? Um, so that's a complex project. Um, may or may not be feasible, but I hope the attempt to do that study doesn't take away from what should be the real focus, which is just this basic data collection of those 16 roads, say, uh, every two years. Uh, so, thank you very much. Um. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and Global Development Policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, 
You can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.